All right, so last week I began by reading you examples of people, you know, from New City who had dreams and then they realized they, were, they could not accomplish their dreams. And so I want to do a similar vein this morning. I think there's times in our life where we all realize that we're not as awesome as we think we are or we want to be. You know, like, for example, obviously I'm a big Duke basketball fan and they beat one of the best teams in the country last night without their most important player playing, which obviously means Duke is unquestionably the best team in the country. <laughs> Um, but that's neither here nor there. That's not the point. The point is, sometimes I watch Duke play, and I'm like, that didn't look that hard. Like, I could play. Like, listen, I know I can't jump. I know I can't dunk. But, like, I'd like, that seems doable. And then I go and play, and I'm like, man, I'm really bad. Like, not just average, like, below average. I'm like, they make it seem like it's not that hard, and I can't ever get open. I can't, like, it's just, I'm like, man, I'm not that good at this, right? Or a specific example for this week, uh, Christina texts me on Wednesday, and she says, um, our sink, the pipe below our kitchen sink is leaking. Do I need to call somebody? And I'm like, call somebody? No, I'll fix it when I get home. What do you mean call somebody? Right? And so I'll get home, and I literally, so Finley, who's almost four, says, come to realize that whenever there's something that's broken in our house, Daddy has a friend that comes and helps him. Or in other words, Daddy has a friend who fixes it, and Daddy watches, right? And so we have one friend who she calls Mr. Seth, who comes over every time there's a big problem that I can't fix. So I literally walk into the door, walk into, well, walked into the house, go into the kitchen. First thing Finley says, unprompted, Daddy, the kitchen is broken. Is Mr. Seth going to come over and fix it? I'm, what do you mean, Mr. No, Mr. Seth's not coming over to fix it. I'm fixing it. I'm dad. I don't need any help. And so I proceed to fix it. And guess what? I fixed it, okay? Until Thursday when Christina texted me and said it's leaking again. Now, in my defense, it was leaking way less than it was before, okay? So I did something, all right? And then long story short, Mr. Seth came over on Saturday yesterday and fixed it, okay? And so he, he fixed it, and I was not as awesome as I thought I was. And here's why I share that. Um, because today, as we continue our series masterclass, we're looking at this question. The question is this, that what is the biggest thing that keeps people from Christ? And what is my story that I shared, us not being as awesome as we think we have, have to do with it? Uh, we're going to look at that this morning. And in my experience, we often say, for example, it's an intellectual problem or it's a doubt I have. And those things are legit and definitely can influence us and affect us, absolutely. But it's been my experience that that is not one of the top things that actually keeps people away from Christ. It's actually something else. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians. If not, there's a black one somewhere around you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of those homes with you if you want to read along with us. We're in a series called Masterclass. We're going through 1 Corinthians. It was written by a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, and he is showing us how the gospel affects every hour or every aspect of our life. So this is a Masterclass on life. The first few weeks of the series, we were going through the introduction of this book where Paul is basically saying this, the church at Corinth and us have a lot of issues, a lot of things for us to grow in Christ in a lot of things for us to work through. But before we get to those issues, you and I just need to remember that we are saved by grace. We are saved by what Christ has done for us. So we don't do these things. We don't love God more. We don't uh, strive towards good works to get, gain God's approval. It's already because we already have God's approval. We do them to honor him. So we have to remember that as we begin to look at some of these issues. In verse 10, he starts out by saying now. Now is just a reference to what he said the verse before. Verse 9 simply said this, that God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here's what he's saying. Because of that, because God is faithful, because God calls us and gives us grace, it's not about what we do, it's about what he has done. Now, this is what, now here's what we should do. Now, or therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that you all agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. So what's happened here is that disunity had broken out at the church in Corinth, and as we're going to see, really it's what's happening is people are kind of naming people that they're going to follow or teachers that they're going to follow, and they're putting their identity in those people instead of Christ. And what Paul is saying here, what he's going to be doing, he's going to be calling them, calling believers, calling us to be united in the gospel, not in these things. This is a repeated idea throughout the New Testament that because of what Christ has done for us, if you are in Christ, you are part of God's family, and a divided family is not a healthy family, nor is a divided family a good and proper response to the gospel, right? What is the gospel? That Jesus saves all of us, no matter who you are, man or woman, no matter ethnicity, social, economic status, where you live, what you have done. We all are given grace before Jesus, and so we all can unite in that, and the Corinthians are finding other things to put their, their kind of their identity in, and it's going to lead to a lot of problems. And here's how Paul knows what's going on. Verse 11, it says this, For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. So remember, Paul does not live in Corinth, and he planted the church in Corinth. And Chloe is likely a wealthy businesswoman. We're not sure. We don't have much more information about her. She's probably, though, a Christian. Maybe the church met in her home. We're not sure. But either her servants or some of her uh, coworkers or whatever had gone to Paul and, and let him know some of the problems that were going on in Corinth. And so that is how Paul knows what's going on. And here's what the problem is. Verse 12. Uh, What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, who was Peter, or I belong to Christ. In other words, these people are are sharing the same message. They agree theologically. They're talking about the gospel, what Christ has done, but they have different styles. And the point is this, that the Corinthians are kind of attaching themselves to people instead of Christ. Now, we're not sure they are, if Paul adds the I belong to Christ to show them that that's actually who they should belong to, or maybe some of them were self-aware enough to be like, no, 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 we need to all belong to Christ, not to people. People. Regardless, the point is this, that the gospel is that you belong to Christ, not to people or things. And if you get that wrong, it will lead to a whole host of issues. And here's what I would say, going along to the question that we started in the beginning, that some of the, the biggest reasons, or one of the biggest reasons, that people have not accepted Christ or have a problem with Jesus is not an intellectual problem, it's not a doubt problem, it's actually pride. And here's what I mean. Here's what pride does, right? Pride says that we're good enough on our own, that we don't need any help, we don't need anything. And what is one of the kind of the main mantras that we hear in Western civilization today? That God will let me into heaven as long as my good works outweigh my bad. And so we may not verbally say, I'm a good enough person, God let me into heaven. But what we're doing is we're relying on ourselves and not the grace that he has given us, right? We're relying on ourselves and not him. We are being prideful. And we're so prideful. In fact, I, I just finished a book called Everybody Lies, and it was written by this data scientist, economic guy. And basically, and you may be familiar with this, you know, surveys are unreliable. Even uh, anonymous surveys are unreliable because people always say what the right thing is supposed to be. But now because of Google and big data and Facebook, like we can actually search and see what do people actually do? What do people look for? And basically half the book was saying this, that you and I are serial liars. We lie about everything. Now, the good news is most of the time we lie about things that are inconsequential, but we're still lying. So for example, we lie about what time we get up in the morning. We lie about how long we worked out. We lie about what we ate. We lie about how much money we gave. We lie about how much, how, how often we read the Bible. We lie about so many things. And what is the root cause of, the, of that lying? It's pride. 
It's wanting people to view us in a certain way. It's wanting us to kind of look like we have it all together. We want people to think of us in a certain way. We are being prideful. And here's why this matters. Here's what I want us to know as we begin this text this morning that we're reading, and that's this, that your pride has the power to ruin your life. That is what we're going to see. And here's the thing, regardless, if maybe you've got questions about Jesus, you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing, regardless of that, it is the same is true for you and for me, for everybody. Your pride has the power to ruin your life if you are not careful, which is why Paul, even though he has a whole host of issues to address to the church in Corinth, he starts with this issue, because if we get this wrong, it will slowly and surely lead to death in our life. Think about it this way. Like, how many bad decisions have you made in your life because of pride? Like, maybe you're at work, right, and, and uh, someone comes up to you and says, oh, no, you're doing it wrong. Do it this way. And you know you're doing it wrong, but because you're prideful and you like, want to prove a point, you keep doing it the way you're not supposed to be doing it, right? Or like me, I don't know if you're an Enneagram person. That's a big thing right now. I'm an Enneagram 8, which just basically means I like to be in charge and I don't like to apologize. I think I'm always right, but the good news is I mostly am right, so I don't have much to apologize for. Um, but anyway, so people like me, though, pride is actually, it can be a thing for people like me. Why? Because we want people to think that we've got it all together, that we're a great leader, that we know what we're doing, right? But we get prideful, and so then we, we don't do, we don't make smart decisions. Like, here's how it's played out for me sometimes. Uh, you know, like before we planted the church, you know, we would go to, Christina, I would go to church, maybe some marriage conference, and there, I can't think of a specific example other than tell you that this has happened. There were times where, like, the pastor or somebody would say something about marriage or something husbands should do, and I would literally think in my mind, that is a great idea, but I'm not going to start doing it tomorrow because if I start doing it tomorrow, Christina's going to know it wasn't my idea, it was his idea. So I'm going to wait a few weeks. Hopefully she forgets and thinks it was my idea. Now, Christina doesn't care whose idea it was. She just wants me to be a better husband, right? She don't care. She's like, just fix him, right? right? But for me, because I'm prideful, I want, don't, yeah, don't, no amens, no amens, right? Because I'm prideful, I want people to think it was my idea, right? And this, it can start small, but ultimately, if we are not careful, your pride, my pride can ruin our life if we attach our things, uh, attach our lives to things that cannot do for us what we want them to do. That's the problem here. So we continue, verse 13, it says this. Paul continues, he says, you belong to all these people. Then he says this, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. What is Paul doing here? He's using the baptism and the crucifixion to show us how absurd it is to attach ourselves to things and people that are not Christ. What he's saying here is, I did not save you. I did not give you grace. Paul, Paulos, all these things, they, it was Christ who did these things for you. There is no one greater than him, so it is to your detriment if you attach yourself to someone or something other than him. And listen, we do this, right? We, in the church world, Christian world, we do this, right? We say things like, my church is better than this church, or I listen to this podcast, or I read these types of books, or I read this translation of the Bible. And we may not say it out loud, but what we think is that people that don't listen and go to and do the things that I do do not love Jesus as much as I do and are not spiritually mature as I am. And hear me, there's nothing wrong with having preferences, right? Like if you're a part of New City Church, I obviously love New City Church. I think it's awesome, right? But the thing is, if we start to think of people who don't go to our church as not as good as us, then we've got it wrong. Like this is something I did when I was a kid, because uh, I didn't quite understand this. And to be honest, I think we're all growing with this. But I grew up in the church, and the, kid, the church I grew up to when I was a kid was awesome. And I would literally think, I wouldn't say this, but when other friends would tell me about churches they would go to, you know what I would think? I would think, well, 
Their church is not as good as my church. And if they came to my church, they would leave their church and go to mine because mine is better. What am I doing? I'm, a, I'm equating spiritual maturity and loving Jesus for the church and not Jesus. So you and I just need to be careful. It is absolutely okay for us to have preferences, but let us not kind of judge other people for not listening to or reading the things we do and think that we are better than them. That is what the Christians, that is what Corinth is doing. They're saying, I belong to this person, I belong to this person, and that makes me better than you. Paul's like saying, do not do that. That is prideful, and Christ is the one that did these things, not you. And so with that, this whole identity thing, I just want to say this, and it's kind of a cliche thing, but it's true, so hear me out, that if you put your identity in anything other than Christ, you will be let down. That's what Paul is talking about here. And here's how this plays out, right? You know, relationships, your kids, your job, like at some point, the things that you strive for and want the most will let you down. They will not be for you what you want them to be, right? And so if you want to not be let down, you need to put your trust and hope in something that isn't changing, that actually loves you and cares for you. So if you put your identity in these things, you will ultimately be let down. And as I know this is a side note, but here's why it's important for us to get this identity thing right, okay? And, and, and let's see if you agree with this. it has been my experience. That how proud you are of your accomplishments, uh, it determines how you feel about your identity. Now, what I'm saying here is when I talk about identity, I'm not talking about finding your identity in Christ. I'm just saying your identity in yourself and your self-worth, right? If you, for example, if you are proud of the school that you went to and the education you have and the job that you have and the things that you do, which there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I worked hard. I'm glad things turned out this way. But you kind of, you kind of like those conversations, right? But if life has not gone for you the way you wanted it to go, uh, maybe you didn't get into the school you went to, or maybe you're currently working a job that is not the career path that you want to be in, like you kind of shy away from those conversations. Why? Because you feel less than. Like, I remember for me, before we launched New City Church, I got a master's degree. We helped plant a church, involved the ministry. I was trying to find a church job to get more experience. Nothing was working out. So I ended up taking a, taking a regular job outside of church. And, and I would, like, when people asked what I did, I didn't do this, but I, I wanted to. Like, I always wanted to be like, well, here's where I work, but it's not what I'm going to be doing. Like, this is actually what I'm working towards, right? Because I wanted people to think and view me in a certain way. Like, I was struggling. And again, we're all going to do this to some degree, but I was struggling to find my identity and the approval of other people. And looking good and looking awesome instead of finding my identity in Christ that does not change. That's what happens, right? The proud, how proud we are of who we are and what we've done, if our identity is not in Christ, changes based on how we feel, where we are in our season or our stage in life. So I was so refreshing for me a few weeks ago or a few months ago. We went to Guatemala and we're going again in May. And uh, so we'll give you some more information. We'd love for some of you to join us with our church partner down there. And uh, going to all these houses, like extreme poverty. And when you're around in environments like this, like there is no pretending. Like, nobody pretends they have it all together. Nobody pretends they've got everything figured out. There's no, like, there's no, like, I, you know, like, I'm good and, like, try to cover, sweep things under the rug. Like, there's just the honestness of, like, I need help. Right? It was so refreshing to me, and I think that we need to do that ourselves. Because when we become prideful, we kind of sweep things under the rug. We try to try to keep this persona in front of other people, and it can lead to our destruction. Which, and he, so that being said, here's why this is important. Here's why it's important for us to know that our pride will ruin our life. Okay, because pride is one of the biggest things that will keep you from God. The reality of the situation is pride is one of the biggest things that will keep you from God. You think you're good enough on your own. You don't think you need help. You don't want anyone telling you how to live. And you start to think that you can figure it out on your own, that you're good, right? There's a, there's a funny story about Muhammad Ali, who was the really great heavyweight boxer who died a few years ago. Uh, years ago, he was flying, and there was a bunch of turbulence that came on. You know, the, the pilot comes on board and says, hey, there's a bunch of turbulence. turbulence you know, please buckle your seatbelts. Well, Muhammad Ali doesn't buckle his seatbelt. And so the plane starts to get rocky, 
stewardess runs over to Muhammad Ali and says, sir, uh, can you please buckle your seatbelt? It's about to get really rough in here. And Muhammad Ali looks at the stewardess and goes, uh, excuse me, but Muhammad Ali don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess then looks at Muhammad Ali and responds by saying, well, su- or, uh, what, what did I say, Muhammad Ali? Uh, super- did I say Superman? No. I'm ruining this joke. He said Superman don't need no seatbelt. That's what he said, okay? This is why it's important. I'm messing this joke up, okay? <laughs> so he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she responds by saying, well, Superman don't need no airplane either, right? Thank you for laughing. Like, you completely ruined that joke. Here's the point, right? And I'm not knocking Muhammad Ali, but the point is that we can do that in our life. We can become so much of like, I'm figuring it out. I'm doing all these things. I'm Superman, realizing that actually, no, the fact that you're flying shows that you're weak and you need help anyway. So don't pretend, don't get this false idea that you're Superman, because that will ruin your life, and it will keep you from God if you think you do not need him, and if you think you do not need help. That's what Paul is getting at here. Before we get to all these other issues, we've got to root it in. We've got to understand that's about Jesus. Jesus and not about us. And so again, he says this. I'll read verse 14 again. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will be, not be emptied of its effect. Here's what's happening here. Let me explain this baptism thing, and I'll explain what's happening here. Um, Paul is saying here, by inference, that baptism does not save you. So when he is saying, I'm glad that I didn't baptize you, he is not saying that baptism isn't important. In fact, we see throughout the New Testament, we actually see from other places and Paul himself talking the importance of baptism. But what he's saying is, it does not save you. So I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you so that you guys wouldn't say, well, Paul baptized me and you were baptized by this person, so you're not as good as me. The point, though, or what's, what's significant, though, is that baptism, that all that to say, is significant because it is a symbol of a changed life. Christ has called us, if we are in him, to be baptized. It's kind of like a wedding ring, right? Like a wedding ring does not make you married. It's not what makes you married, but it shows you that you have, it shows other people that you have made a commitment to somebody. And what's funny, it was interesting to me when it comes to baptism, why sometimes followers of Christ do not get baptized. Sometimes it's because they've been following Christ for a long time and they never got baptized. And so then they don't want people to think that they're a new Christian, right? They don't want people to think, oh, they, he, I've been following Jesus for years, but if I get baptized, people are going to think I'm a brand new Christian, right? Or they'll we'll say things like, well, what if my friends or family see that? And I, and I understand this is, can be a very big thing for some people, so I'm not downplaying it, but it's something we say, like, if my friends or family see that I get baptized, or they see a picture on Facebook, they're going to, they're going to, they might make fun of me, might make these things. And in my experience, the number one reason why people do not get baptized, A, Jesus actually says, like, get baptized, so that's not like something you need to pray about, right? But here's why. It's because of pride because we're, we're afraid of what people are going to think, right? And so here we see how pride changes everything if we are not careful. And that's why Paul is saying this. Again, I didn't baptize you. Not that baptism isn't important, but I don't want you to be, attach yourself to be like, well, Paul baptized me, so I'm legit, and you are not. And then in verse 17, he says this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. We'll talk about eloquent wisdom next week, but for, suffice to say for now, uh, back in this culture, uh, speech and rhetoric was highly valued. So if you were a persuasive communicator, people thought, oh, what, you say, what you're saying was real and legit. That could have been some of the division among the, these church leaders as they thought Apollo, Apollos or Peter or Paul were, were better than others. So they kind of wanted to attach themselves to the best communicator. And what Paul is saying here, that what's important is not how smart you sound. What's important is whether or not you are following and trusting in Christ. That is what is important. There's a, there's a uh, pastor and author who put it this way, which I think is really great. Talking about the gospel and not being prideful about what Christ has done for us, he put it this way, that Jesus 
plus nothing equals everything, okay? So Jesus and what he's accomplished on the cross is perfect life, death, burial, resurrection on our behalf, plus nothing. So not plus my good outweighs my bad, not plus I'm going to give a ton of money away, not plus I'm going to help an old lady across the street. All those things are great. You should be generous. You should have spiritual disciplines. You should help the old lady get across the street, right? You should do these things, but it doesn't gain anything with you before Christ, that God loves you and accepts you because of him, not because of you, that if you are in Christ, Jesus has done absolutely everything necessary on your behalf for you to be loved and accepted and given grace by God. So it is Jesus plus nothing, which is not because of you and your pride and what you do. That's what equals everything. It's not Jesus plus I'm going to do these things. It's Jesus on his own. And if that's true, that Christ saves us and that pride can absolutely ruin our life and drive a slow wedge between us and Christ. Here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do with this text. Ready? That you need to stop pretending that you've got it all together, right? This is very profound. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, right? You need to stop pretending that you have it all together. Stop giving this false persona that you got everything figured out. Stop uh, giving this idea that you don't need any help, right? And, and here's why, right? If you thought this was good, I'm telling you, man, I prayed about this next point really hard. This is going to surprise you, right? Here is why that you and I need to stop pretending that we've got it all together. Ready for this? Because you don't have it all together. I spend a lot of time, I, I do, here's the reality. You do not have it all together. Regardless, again, we can take Jesus out of it. Regardless of what you think about Jesus, you know that you do not have it all together, right? If you have a porn addiction and you're not telling anyone about it and you're struggling on your own because you don't want people to think differently of you, you know that you have a problem. You know that you don't have it all together, but you're not saying anything to anybody because you want people to think that you're good, right? Or let's say you go out of the, you finish your workout or whatever and you take like 50 selfies of yourself and you spend an hour trying to edit it, right? Because you, have the, you want to make it look amazing, right? And then you check Instagram every two minutes to see how many likes you're getting because if you don't get enough likes, you need to delete that post because you have an image to keep together, right? You know that you do not have it all together. You know how much time it took you to post that picture, right? So don't pretend, right? Or let's say you got kids, right? And you and you want other, you, you're struggling with a discipline issue or whatever and you don't know what to do. And instead of asking your friends or mentors who have kids what they do, you say nothing because you want them to think that you're a perfect parent and that your kids have everything together. What are you doing? You are pretending that you have got it all together and you're not going to go to help. You're not going to ask your friends for help. All the while, your friends are also pretending they have it all together. They're not going to ask you to help. And we're suffering alone because we are prideful, right? And if you do not want pride to ruin your life, you need to have people that you can go to. This is why the last few weeks we've been talking about it's such a big deal. Why we think community groups are so important. That if you, one of our values here is you can't do life alone. And if you try to do life alone, you'll become prideful, become self-absorbed, and you'll try to fix everything on your own, and you cannot do that. So if you're not part of a group, let me just encourage you, sign up. Or maybe you're new here and you're like, I'm not sure about this whole group thing. Sign up for starting point. Even if you, I, I'm not saying this just to say this, like if I wasn't speaking, you know, every Sunday, I would actually go to starting point because there's always things that we can learn. It's a short time group. And I don't even care if you go there for eight weeks and don't even come to service. It is that important for you to find friendship and community. You do not have it all together. And it is to your demise and my demise and our shame when we pretend that we do. And so that being said, here's the bottom line. Here's lesson three of masterclass, okay? That pride is present where the gospel is absent. Pride is present in your life where the gospel is absent. And here's the, here's the deal. All of us have areas in our life that we are prideful in. You and I may not be prideful people overall, but we all have areas in our life that we are not allowing the gospel to expose, that we are not allowing the gospel to speak to. So the question is, what areas are you prideful in? Is it some of the examples that I gave? Is it something else? What areas in your life are you not allowing the gospel to affect? 
this is how the gospel affects every area of our life. Where are you kind of not telling people about your weaknesses? Where are you trying to do it on your own? Where are you not being honest with somebody because you want people to think and view you in a certain way? Listen, pride is present where the gospel is absent. So the question is, where are you and I prideful and where do we need to let the gospel speak into? And here's what the gospel is. We say this a lot at New City. works perfectly with this message. Here's the gospel. That because of Jesus what he has done, you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. So because of Jesus, that he lived the perfect life that you could not live, took the wrath of God, the sin of God on our behalf, that anyone who placed their trust and faith in him, not tries to get their life together and then trusts him, but just is honest about where they are, put their faith and trust in him. You have nothing to prove. Why? Because Jesus proved everything. He was perfect. You were not. And you have no one to impress. Why? Because God, the king of the universe, if you are in Christ, looks at you the same way he looks at Jesus, which is perfect, righteous, holy and blameless, and it's not because of you, it is because of him. And so you and I can spin our wheels buying things that we can't afford, impress people we don't even know. We can try to do all these things to impress people that do not matter, all the while missing God himself. If you are in Jesus because of what he has done, there is nothing for you to improve, to prove to anybody, and there is no one for you to impress because Christ did it all on the cross for you and for me, which again means this, that pride is present where the gospel is absent. And the question for you and me, because we can always grow in this, is where in our lives are we not allowing the gospel to infiltrate? Where in the lives are we, are we trying to pretend and trying to lean into our own strength and not be honest about our weakness, about our need for him? Whatever you saw the last few weeks as we read Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says this, that when I am weak, that's when I am strong. In other words, when I am not being prideful, that's actually where I'm strong because I'm allowing the gospel to speak into my life. And so no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, the question for this is if pride can ruin your life and the gospel is the antidote to pride, where does it need to speak in and change your life? It's not about you. It's about him, what Christ has done for us. And so we just need to be honest about our brokenness. We need to be honest about our pride. And that is when we start to see life change happen in our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that even in the midst of our pride and our shortcomings and our falling shorts, you love us so much that you came, which means that that we do not need to pretend that we have it all together. That if we're not sure about this Jesus thing, we need to know that today we can go to you and just be honest about our situation, that you will give us love and grace and forgiveness. Maybe those of us that have been following you for a while and it's easy for us to forget and it's easy for us to lean in on our own strength. God, my prayer is that we would be honest with ourselves about the areas in our life that we are being prideful in because those small seeds can end up taking root and kind of completely changing the trajectory of our life. And so God, I pray that we would be honest about those things, that we would allow you to completely change all areas, that we would be drawn closer to you, and that you would show us that you love us and that you care for us right where we are. So there's no need for us to be prideful. There's no need for us to pretend we have it all together because that is exactly why you came. So God, thank you for what you've done. This is why we sing. This is why we worship, that you deserve the glory. It's all about what you have done. It's about what Christ has done. And we just get to reap in the benefits of the sacrifice that you have made. So thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for completely eliminating the need for pride. And is that, that is the reason that we worship. That is the reason that we sing. God, you get the glory because of what you've done for us. And in Jesus' name I pray.